What great truth. What great truth. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Overlake. I do want to wish you a happy Valentine's Day today. Uh, yeah, rousing applause. I know. Uh, one of those weird things. That I, and, and if you're not from a Catholic background, I'm not. I had to do some research. Apparently, Valentine is the patron saint of overpriced greeting cards. And uh, it's just a, a weird uh, kind of a thing to sort of think about this, this idea of Valentine's Day. And, and so this week on Facebook, I put out there, I just wanted to see how many of us had awkward stories or funny stories or stories of, of you know, maybe asking somebody on a date or having somebody ask you on a date or, you know, just in honor of Valentine's Day. And we got so many responses. I mean, over 50 responses. Apparently, uh, you guys have lived through a lot of pain. And, um, but if you, if you want, you know, a good laugh, go on my Facebook wall. You can read all those stories. Very, very funny. I just want to share one with you. Uh, it's from my friend Heather, and she was working for a while in a public defender's office, and, and so she goes into this conference with, uh, with an inmate there. She says, hi, I'm Heather. I'm your attorney for your case where you're charged with, and the inmate interrupts her. Mmm, what's that perfume you're wearing? <laughs> and she answers, it's called You de Public Defender, and that's not what we're here for. And he interrupts again. When I get out of here, can I take you out to dinner? And she's like, what are you charged with again? Oh, sexual harassment. Yeah, that fits. <laughs> yeah, very, very fun. A lot of funny stories. Um, if you're here today and you don't have anyone special for Valentine's Day, we actually found this online. Just wanted to share it with you. A little solo action today. And um, if you're here and you do have uh, your significant other, you might be sitting with your Valentine. We actually have brought back the biblical kiss cam. So today we want to just pull this out, the biblical kiss cam. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it right there. Come on. Oh, yeah. Good, good. Yep. Excellent. Excellent work. Oh, good. Good work, Jonathan. <laughs> Well done. Hey, nice, nicely done, you guys. I'm, I'm so thankful. That was the biblical kiss cam. I'm glad we didn't have to uh, instruct. Uh, you know, it's not the French kiss cam. And so thank you for being appropriate in church. Hey, what I want to do is I want to begin today's conversation. And I want you to have this mental challenge, if you will. I want you to imagine or remember what it feels like to be in love. To head over heels, I want you to just kind of think about those, those feelings, those emotions, just kind of churning, infatuation, you're constantly thinking about your beloved. And again, for some of you, you maybe haven't been in love, and so you just have to imagine. For others of you, you might not even have to remember. It's how you felt when you woke up this morning and looked at your spouse uh, there, and it's that feeling of like, I can't believe out of all the people in the world, she has chosen to be with me, or, or he has chosen to be mine, and, and there's that sense of being in love. And I, I just, I want you to think about that for a minute. In my story, I, I have only been in love one time, and that's with my wife, Jody. That before I had met Jody, I had seriously been in like a couple of times, but, but Jody was the first person that I ever met, and I just fell head over heel. I fell so 
hard for her. And I, I have shared with some of you before, like the first time I met her, it was just one of those things that we had spent some time together. And then I jump in my car. I have to leave. I'm driving away. And I look in the rearview mirror and I see her. She's standing on the curb. We were in Southern California. She's talking with her parents. And literally, the sky was just absolute clear blue. And a, a beam of sunshine was like down on her. She's wearing this yellow sundress, is gently ruffling in the breeze. The birds are singing, the butterflies all out, you know, fluttering around the flowers. An angelic choir was singing. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. There were no butterflies, but everything else. And, and as I drove away, I remember having a conversation with Jesus. I remember saying something like, Lord, now, now that is a woman that I could see spending the rest of my life with. I mean, I don't know where this is going, but man, I would sure love it. I, I mean, if you're registering like a desire right now, Jesus, this would be one. And, and, and I, I was so, there was so much emotion. It, it prompted me, it propelled me to action. So I, I ended up calling her, figuring out how to call her. I called her and asked her if she'd be willing to go out on a date with me. And, and that began something, right? There was this trajectory. That was 21 years ago, by the way. And, and so it's, it's kind of interesting that as I, I sort of kind of look at those first couple of years together with Jody, there were some key moments, more than a few, but certainly some key moments in that love story. The first kind of key moment happened about a month into dating when we had the DTR conversation, define the relationship. And, and so that's where we entered in and, and we, you know, she talked about how she was feeling and what she was thinking. I talked about how I was feeling, what I was thinking, and, and that's when we decided that it was okay. It was, it, was, it was a mutual thing that we would call one another boyfriend and girlfriend. So that's how we would de then describe it. So we would even say in conversation, oh, have you met my girlfriend, Jody? Have you met my boyfriend, Mike? That, that, that was now how we were going to talk about one another. And then about a year after that, there was another defining moment when she agreed to, to marry me. And, and I gave her an engagement ring. And, and then from then on, it wasn't boyfriend or girlfriend. Now it was my fiancé. There was a new way of associating with one another. And then about a year after that, we stood on a church altar in front of family and friends and God... And we proclaimed our vows to one another. And we exchanged rings in that moment. And now our association was different still. It was now as husband and wife. Our past had now become intermingled. Our future was now one. That, that we would now forevermore, we would associate with one another. We would associate with the world by this definition. This is my husband, Mike. This is my wife, Jody. And, and, and so I want you to see that in that moment, there was something going on. It was, it was a public association that, that we weren't hiding this away. This was in front of everybody we knew, basically, at the time. We said, hey, come on in. We're, we're getting married. And, and, and uh, so, so it, was, it was public, and then it was also a personal association. 
In other words, nobody's making us do this thing. It's, it's, it, there's no shotgun behind it. This is full willing of, of, you know, I'm in sane mind, or at least as sane as I could be, being head over heels in love. But the idea was that we were going we were gonna to make this association public, like she's off limits, he's off limits, and then personal, this is my choice. I'm making this decision. And so I, I, that's sort of the, the de, you know, the, the love story trajectory. And obviously we've been married now 19 plus years. Here's the thing. If you are married, your story has elements of that, right? Every story does. And even if you're not married, maybe you've never been in a significant relationship, even you can see that those phases, there's a difference between them, right? There's a difference between meeting somebody for the first time and standing on the altar and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your husband, I'm going to be your wife forever and ever. This is my vow. This is my commitment. And you can see that there's like significant difference in between those phases. The reason why I bring all of this up is because the, the topic of today's message, if you want to grab your notes out of your hand, out you see we're talking about what's the deal with baptism. And I want you to know that your faith you're, the, 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 the faith journey that you are on with Jesus, it's a lot like a love story. That there are these different phases and there is this moment when you decide to make a personal association with Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. I want to follow you. This is how I'm going to define myself for the rest of my life. And a public association in front of family and friends. And, and what that looks like, friends, is baptism. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's why I take some time to introduce it like this, because I want you to see that baptism is very much like one of the phases in a love story. And again, it is a love story between you and Jesus. So let's just jump right in. If you're filling in the blanks, the first thing as we start talking about baptism is this. We want to recognize that baptism illustrates the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and even as we start <clears throat> talking about baptism, if you're just checking this whole church thing out, maybe, maybe you don't know much about uh, Jesus, you don't know much about church, and, and it probably sounds a little weird. Like, like it would make sense that it would sound a little weird to, to be baptized, to be, to be dunked under water, and, and to have an adult or, or a, a, you know, a young person uh, relatively sane, of sound mind, willingly be submerged underwater in front of a thousand friends, right? And, and, and then the, the idea is that then they have to come up out of the water, and then they've got wet head, and, and that's just uncomfortable, and nobody looks good when the mascara is running. Not that I wear mascara, I'm a dude, but, but the idea is that, that there's this kind of, why would somebody want to do that? Why would somebody volunteer to do it? It just sounds weird. And not only does it sound weird, but it's a stretch to think that that somehow connects with something that is meaningful spiritually. But it does. Because of what we just talked about, it, it illustrates something that we find profoundly moving. And that is Jesus, he died on the cross, he was buried in the ground in a cave, and then he rose again from the grave. There's a resurrection, and we celebrate this on Easter Sunday. We call this Resurrection Sunday. 
So, so yes, there's significance in this. And yes, there's a, there's a connection to something that we find of utmost importance, of central importance, if you will. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says this. Christ died for our sins, as the holy writing said he would. Christ was buried. He was raised from the dead three days later, as the holy writing said he would. You take a look at that verse and you realize that truth is what separates Jesus from all of the other religious teachers the world has ever seen. That truth right there, that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave, that's, that's the line that puts Jesus on one side and every other good teacher on the other side. Right? That, that's of central importance. And baptism... Baptism illustrates that. It illustrates the death, the burial, and the resurrection. In fact, this is what it says in Romans 6, 4, message paraphrase. It says, when we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Colossians 2, 12 says, when you were baptized, you were buried as Christ was buried. When you were raised up in baptism, you were raised as Christ was raised. So you see that baptism, it illustrates the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But you can also see as the follower of Jesus enters into the waters of baptism, they are somehow connecting with that. So that, spirituality, that spiritual reality is what the follower of Jesus is connecting themselves to. They're making that personal and public association with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The next fill-in is this. The baptism illustrates my new life as a Jesus follower. It illustrates my new life. Not only does it connect me with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, but it also connects me with this reality that my without God life, my uh, I'm going to run it however I want to life, I'm going to make the decisions that are best for me life, that without God life is dead and buried. And now the new life I live is a with God life. The new life I live is one where Jesus is not only my Savior, he's my Lord. And, and baptism illustrates that old life being gone, the new life, with the with God life, now the life I'm raised to. Scripture says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. Past is forgotten and everything is new. And it is important for me to point out a couple of things. The first is this. Baptism does not make you a believer. It simply shows that you are a believer. Okay. Baptism does not make you committed to Jesus. It simply illustrates that you're committed to Jesus. B baptism does not make you saved. It simply is a witness to others that you are saved and following Jesus. In the same sort of way that if you were to stand on an altar and you were to make some vows, wedding vows, that doesn't make you in love with your spouse. You're already in love with them. That simply displays to everyone your love and commitment to them. If you found a ring and you put it on your ring finger, that doesn't automatically make you married to somebody. It simply tells the world that you are married to somebody. 
And I, and I know for some of you it's a little bit of a stretch, but I, I just want to make this super, super clear. Like I, this is basic level here. We don't believe that the waters of baptism are magical at all. We don't believe that the, that the, that the waters, that even the, the ceremony of baptism, we, we don't believe that, that something magical, mystical happens in that moment. And, and pr I promise you, if we thought that the, the waters of baptism were magic, my job as a pastor would be a whole lot different. Because then I would spend all kinds of time, like I wouldn't even care what you think or feel about Jesus. I would just be grabbing people and throwing them underwater. And they'd be like, hey, let me go, let me go. Bloop, bloop. Hallelujah. You know, they, they, they'd be committed at that point. And that's not how it happens. That is not what's going on here. No, in a very real sense, it's a lot like a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make me anything, but it shows that I am in a marriage relationship. Baptism shows that you are in that place. You've defined the relationship with Jesus. You've made a personal association with him, and now you're making a public association with him. You're showing that you want to live a new life, a with God life. You're showing that you're connecting with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The next fill-in here is that baptism illustrates my connection to Jesus' body, the church. It illustrates my connection to Jesus' body, the church. Now, the church in the scriptures, it's identified as the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. That Jesus is the head, the church is his body. And again, it's a metaphor that's used, but we talk a lot about that at Overlake. We talk about how the church is the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. That the church is the way that the world can see the love of Jesus. That as we feed the homeless, right, that that's the hand of Jesus feeding the homeless. As, as we go into the world to serve, that that's that those are the feet of Jesus going to these places to serve. That, that we recognize, Overlick, and, and so many of us, we're already on the journey here. We already believe this. We already try to live in such a way that we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, tangibly expressing his love to the world. So we talk a lot about this. But it also means that when I'm connected to the body of Jesus, that now I have to let him call the shots in my life. Okay? Here's what the scripture says. Again, this is from the message paraphrase. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a larger integrated life in which Christ has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body. We're now a part of his resurrection body. And, and that means that we reckon one another as brothers and sisters. We are in this family together. We are members together in Christ's body. And baptism illustrates our connection. So why do we place great value on baptism? Let me just jump in. Talk about this is why at Overlake we put such a value on baptism. The first is this. We want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We want to get baptized because we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Matthew 3.16 says, When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. When we're baptized, we get to follow Jesus' footsteps into the waters of baptism. 
And, and, you know, you don't have to go over to Israel. You don't have to find the Jordan River. Uh, many of us have made that trip. and We've, we've seen that river. Uh, many at Overlake have actually been baptized in the Jordan. But that's not a requirement. Entering into the waters of baptism is just one of the ways that we get a chance to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And again, how we define ourselves is Jesus' followers. So it's important to us to see what it is he modeled so that we can follow in his footsteps. The next fill-in is this. We want to follow the command of Jesus. We don't just want to follow what he modeled. We want to follow what he commands. And in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, he says, Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so we want to follow his footsteps. We want to follow his commands. He says, you are to make disciples and you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. We place great value on what Jesus taught. We want to follow what he commanded us. We want to follow in his footsteps. The third uh, fill in here is that we want to give witness to the fact that we believe in Jesus. In Acts 18.8, it says, many who heard believed and were baptized. In fact, when you read through the New Testament, you will see that every single time there's an illustration of somebody who places their faith in Jesus, baptism is the next step that they do. It immediately follows the decision to trust in Jesus. And so we, we just recognize that, hey, we want to be a part of the same thing that we see in the scripture. When people trust Jesus, when they decide to follow him, they are baptized. And so we want to do the same thing, to give witness to the fact that we believe in Jesus. Now, different churches celebrate baptism in different ways. And I think that that's part of the, the beauty and the variety in God's family. But I love how, bap, uh, how baptism is celebrated at Overlake Christian Church. I love that it's an aspect of worship. It's an aspect of first obedience that, that we practice here at Overlake. And in just a couple of weeks, we're having a very special baptism service. I'm really, really excited about. But how we practice baptism, and you might want to write this down if you want to do a little research on it. It's through this, this verb, immersion, right? It's, it's through the practice of immersion, which... It's, that's a beautiful word. It's a word I feel really comfortable saying uh, up on, on the stage here. It just means to dunk underwater. That's what it means. To, to, uh, to dip underwater, to immerse, uh, submerge, right? Those, those are all sort of uh, synonyms. And, and, and I, immersion, it just sounds so holy. But re it really just means bloop. You know, like that's, that's what's really going on there. And, and we believe that that is what is practiced in the scripture. So we keep going back to the New Testament. The most common, by the way, definition for, immer or for baptism is to, uh, it's not only to dip underwater, but it's also to wash. So it's, it is interesting that, uh, that we have an ancient Greek recipe written in sort of vernacular, Greek vernacular. And it says, you know, take your vegetables, uh, baptize them, and then cut them up and, and cook them, you know, kind of a thing. And, and so it just means to wash, right? You're just washing. It, to me, I find it really interesting. That means that John the Baptist was initially known as John the Washer Man, uh, which, which I just, I, I find that funny. 
Sometimes when you, re- I know pastors, they don't have much of a life. So it's like, oh, John, John the washerman. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you will find when you read through the New Testament, sometimes when the, the writers came to the word baptizo in the Greek, they, they did translate it to wash. So sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes in the New Testament, uh, the word baptizo will be translated to wash. And, and, and we use that. It's not wrong. We use that, the idea of washing our sins away. We've talked sometimes about that. But what's interesting that the vast majority of the time when the writers of the New Testament, they came to the word baptizo in the Greek, they didn't translate it. They just left it. And so now we have this word baptize, which is actually not a translation of a Greek word. It's the Greek word. It's a transliteration. And the reason why they left it, why they didn't feel comfortable translating it to wash, is because in the Christian context, it means more than to wash. It means all this stuff that we just talked about. It's a bigger word. It's, it, it has more meaning than, than how they were just using it in everyday language in Greek. And so they just left it and they filled it with this language, this importance that we have just been talking about. In fact, if you want to write this somewhere in your notes, write down the words potent symbol, because that's what baptism is. It's a potent symbol connecting us with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. It's a potent symbol connecting us with the new life that we live, a with God life that we live, and, and the without God life that we leave behind. And it's, it's so potent, it's so powerful What's interesting is that immersion, right, submerging somebody underwater, it connects us best with these truths. So doing a little research this week, what I found is that even uh, the, the, the folks out there who started these denominations that no longer practice baptism by immersion, there's pretty common understanding that when baptism is referred to in the Bible, that it's done by immersion, by submerging somebody all the way underwater. So, for example, Martin Luther felt like this. Uh, John Wesley felt like this. Calvin says this. Even though Calvin wasn't a big practicer of believer's baptism or uh, immersion, this is what he says. It's evident that the term baptize means to immerse and that this was the form used by the primitive church. And then I found this really interesting Uh, from the Catholic Encyclopedia, it says, the biblical form of baptism was unquestionably immersion. In the Catholic Church, immersion seems to have prevailed until the 12th century. So I just find that interesting that even denominations that don't practice baptism by immersion, maybe they practice it by sprinkling or by pouring some water over over a head, even the founders of, of these denominations they still point to biblical baptism and say it was done by immersion. Now, all that to say is that Overlake, and and certainly for me, Pastor Mike, we don't get too caught up in the form. We don't get too caught up in how baptism happens. Again, I think it's part of the variety and the beauty of of God's family. And, And maybe you're familiar with baptism in some other way than immersion. I just want to be really clear. We don't get caught up in how much water is used. And certainly we don't get like weird, like, uh, you know, if we baptize somebody and their hand doesn't go all the way underwater, we don't believe that in the afterlife that hand, you know, is in hell and they're in heaven. Like, 
Like that's not what we, if, if, if we dunk a guy underwater and their, their head doesn't get all the way wet, it's not like they're going to be bald in the afterlife because it wasn't sanctified hair. Like that's, that's not what we believe. So, so we don't get caught up on the form side of the conversation at all. But we do sometimes t- want to talk about the timing side of it. And specifically, and you want to write this down because I want to be really clear, the timing that we find interesting is if you are a believer and you know what it is that you're stepping into with baptism. So you might have been a young teen, you might have even been you know, young in elementary school or something, and, and you knew exactly, you, you loved Jesus and you wanted to identify yourself with him and, and follow him. Then to, to us, that's, that's what we mean by that's good timing. You're a believer, you're, you're making these decisions on your own. If it happened when you were so young that it doesn't represent your choice, but it represents your parents' choice or your grandparents' choice, then we'd love to have a conversation with you. And we'd love just to, to let that be a, a conversation because in the Bible, again, we see that it's, it's always the personal choice as somebody chooses to connect with, with Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to show a video right now, and this just gives an illustration, a visual, as to what baptism looks like here at Overlake. So go ahead and watch this video. simply this. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment. I have been following the Lord for a while now and don't know what took me so long to decide to get baptized. Trying to live for God isn't always easy, but it is certainly always good. church family to know through my baptism today as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. I'm ready to take the step of faith and to continue growing as a Christian and that's why I want to be baptized today. So that's, that's a sort of a picture, visual of, of what it looks like at Overlake. Again, I, I, I feel like it's a really special way that we walk in worship as we celebrate baptism together as a family. And it leads me to this last topic. And the last topic is uh, who is, is baptism for? Who's ready for baptism? I put on your notes here that everyone who believes in Jesus is ready for baptism. Everyone who believes. The scripture says this in Acts 2, 41. It says, those who believed and accepted his message were baptized. Those who believed and accepted the message of Jesus, they were baptized. 
There's no litmus test on good enough or been in, in, in following Jesus for X number of days or X number of hours. You got this many seminary credits, like none of that stuff. It's, it's do you believe and, and are you a Jesus follower? Then you're ready. And, and I've been in ministry for over 25 years, and, and I've heard a lot of folks kind of push back on this. Because, again, it's public. It's a personal association, but it's also public. And so people kind of fight a little bit, and they say, well, I, I'm, I'm just waiting until the right moment. And the answer is, look, if, if you believe this is the right moment, if you're, you're trusting Jesus, then you're ready. Uh, other people push back, and they say, well, I've already been a Christian for, for so long. Why now? My response would be, why not? What's holding you back? If you love Jesus and, and you want to follow Jesus, then, then what would be the hang-up? What would be preventing you from taking that step to enter the waters of baptism? For others, it might be, well, I was baptized as an infant. So, so if I get baptized now as an, as an adult, won't I be dishonoring to my parents, my grandparents? And I would love to talk to you about that because the truth is your grandparents and your parents, they might have had a vision for your life that you would follow Jesus, that you would make the step of faith that they were making when you were an infant, that you would make it your own as an adult. And so this is actually a way of fulfilling what it was, the dream that they had for you. It's an honoring step as you make your faith personal, as you take this public step in your own faith journey. So, so that's just some of the, uh, the things that I would push back on. And, and if you believe, you're ready. And, and, and then the question comes, well, what is it that we need to believe? What's, what is it important that, that we believe and that we have accepted so that we know we're ready? At Overlake, you need to understand, and we've said this many times, that we believe in unity in the essentials and liberty in the non-essentials. So kind of people will post all, all places on the spectrum, but in, in the essentials, there's great unity at Overlake. And you'll find that the list of essentials is really, really small. In fact, I'd like, it's so small, I'd like to cover it right now, okay? You might want to write these things down on, on somewhere on the margin of your notes. But, but really, if you're, you're wondering, hey, what are the essentials at Overlake? Here it is, and you're going to find it's super streamlined. The first, God made you in love. That God made me in love. That's the first essential. And the reason why it's essential is because it posits the truth that we believe that God created everything. We believe he created the universe. He, he created this incredible playground called earth. We believe that he, he's the one who made all of the beauty and majesty in nature. We have a creator God. But it's not whimsical. It's not haphazard. He's not a distant God. But he actually created you. And he created you in love. So that's the first essential is we believe that God created you in love. He wants a relationship with you. But the second truth, also true, this is not a good news, it's just the reality, but sin has separated us from God. So that's the second truth. First is God created us in love. The second is that sin has separated us from God. And it's, it, it's sin, sin done to us, but also sin that we have chosen on our own, that we, we've rebelled against God's good plan, we've rebelled against God's good love, that we've gone our own path, we've, we've pursued selfishness, we've pursued pride, that these things are common to all of us. The Bible says all have fallen short. All of us have, have not made up to the standard of God's glory. And so this is reality. Sin has separated us. God made us in love, sin separated us. 
The third truth is that Jesus came for us. That Jesus came for us. That, that he came, that he lived for us. The example that he set, the words that he taught, he was just communicating God's heart. He was communicating God's love to us. And, and then Jesus died for us. We already talked about that on the cross of Calvary. He was stretched out. He was nailed to wooden beams. He was crucified for us to pay the penalty for our sin, to remove our sin, to remove it as far as the east is from the west. Jesus did that for us. And then, like I said earlier, Jesus rose again. He rose for us. He, he's alive. We, we don't have a dead Savior. We have a risen Savior. And and, and that's the third piece. So again, the essentials, you get, just real clearly, they're super simple. God made us in love. Sin has separated us, but Jesus has come for us. He's died for us. He's, he's risen for us. And, and we get a chance to enter into that truth. So, so what do we have to do? Here's my challenge. You, you see what Jesus has done. You see the love that he's given. You see the grace that he's offered us. You simply say, yes, please, to Jesus. You just say, yes, please, I, I want to receive that gift. I want to accept your grace. I, I believe in you and I trust in you. Yes, please, Jesus. And then you say thank you each and every day as you live out your relationship with him. I said it's a love story and I meant it, that I want to introduce you to Jesus if you've never met. And then I, I want you to say thank you to Jesus every day as you grow in your relationship with him. As you learn more about who he is, more about how he loves you, as, as you become closer and closer to him, as you grow in faith, that you would just say thank you to him each and every day. So when I talk about the essentials of belief, you, you see that they're super small, right? It's just a tiny, here it is, right here, boom, God made us right there. Sin separated us, Jesus loves us. And if you believe, then you're ready to be baptized, if you're here and you believe that, you, you already love Jesus, you've been following him for a while, but you have not taken that step of baptism, I really want to encourage you to take that step. It's a joyful step. It's a step in front of family and friends that you have the opportunity to say, I'm making a, a personal association with Jesus, that my past, it, it's now completely forgiven, and my future, it's now completely intertwined with Jesus Christ. And it'll be that way for the whole rest of my life, and then it'll be that way for all of eternity. I make a personal association with Jesus, and I make a public association with him. I want you all to know. I want, I want this to be a public witness that I am his, and he is mine. Does this make sense? Can I get an amen, maybe? Are you, are you with me on this? Okay. Yeah, this is, this is all good stuff. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you have never responded to the gift of Jesus, if you have never said yes to his grace, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. I just want to encourage you to say yes to his invitation. He loves you. He made you in love. He's seen how sin has separated you from God and from God's heart. And, and so he came and he, and he died for you and he rose for you. And if you'll receive his gift, if, you, if you'll place your trust in him today, he'll take all of your sin, he'll take all of the, the shame, he'll take all of the guilt and remove it. He'll completely restore your relationship with God. Would you just say yes to him today? Just say, yes, Jesus, I receive your gift of grace today.
I begin this relationship with you today. I believe in you today. And maybe you're here and, and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but yet you've never taken a step of baptism. I just want to encourage you. I want you to, to answer the question, why haven't you? What's holding you back? Is it wet hair in front of the church? It's not a good answer. Is, it, is there a thought that you have to be good enough, that you have to sort of clean yourself up enough and, and then maybe you'll be ready? Still not a good answer. Jesus loves you perfectly right now. He's inviting you to make not only a personal association, but a public association. So Jesus, we just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your love, your care. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for your rescue. Would you please help us to take appropriate steps in our faith journey? We want to grow in our love story with you. We want to grow to the next phase, whatever that might look like. Lord Jesus, we pray against fear right now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us courage to, to boldly step into the next phase of our love story with you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.